0: Hello, and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Jack rossiter Mumley. And I am your other co-host, Connor McNamara-Strat. And we are here to talk about yet another wonderful poem, and this one in contrast to many of the poems we pick is a little bit on the lighter side a little bit of fun fare for you Uh, it is called ontology and the platypus any poem with platypus in the title's got to be good right by kathy fagan and this poem specifically was not a suggestion from a listener but kathy fagan as a poet for us to dive into was and that is fantastic so thank you very much to fritha strand who not only gave us a rating over on the iTunes store where this suggestion was made, but also sent us an email. So thank you so much for reaching out and letting us know what you want to hear. Anybody else who likes this show or wants to hear a certain poet or poem, feel free to leave us a review on the iTunes store and mention it there. We love reviews on the iTunes store, even if you don't mention a poem, but that's a whole other story. And feel free to send us an email, close talking poetry at gmail.com because we listen to you. So let us know. Before we dive into the poem itself, a little bit about Kathy Fagan, who is pretty cool. She's written five books of poetry, all of which have been nominated for various prizes. Her most recent one is titled Sycamore, came out in 2017 from Milkweed. She's also had poems appear in Poetry Magazine, The Paris Review, a lot of other Very fancy, very cool journals, and she is the director, the creative writing director, of the MFA program at Ohio State University. So, she's got it going on. This is Ontology and the Platypus by Kathy Fagan. So which mammalian fuck-up list produced the platypus? Produced the bird-billed flat-foot erstwhile beavers dressed like ducks for Halloween. Crepuscular and nipple they suckle hatchlings in the changeling dusk. Diaphanously, the god-swan boned a married chick, and she begot two eggs neither good. The launching of a thousand ships ensued. Homer never saw a platypus, though in his dreams he may have heard them growl, a noise between a gurgle and a hiss. The males are venomous. A plural form of platypus does not exist.
1: This poem is too good. It's crazy good. Uh, It's very funny and oh my god. I Well, I have a lot that I want to talk about. Uh, One quick thing. Even before we do our play-by-play, which we usually do, just sort of a rundown of what's happening, there's a lot of we're uh there's a lot of uh ten dollar words in this poem and i had to look up uh, quite a bit a number of them um fuck up was not one of them but uh (laughs) ontology in the title um is the sort of the study of the nature of being um so you got astrology which is the natures of stars and personalities and then you have ontology. <laughs> the two most important ologies, astro and onto. Yep. You, uh, you know, you get your, your sign from astrology and you get your existential crisis from ontology. Perfect. Uh, and, okay, other words that are crazy. Um, erstwhile, I actually didn't know, but it just means like formally or in the past. So it's kind of like FKA twigs. And sort of Uh,
0: like a a little bit of a connotation of hidden in some way. Like mm. hasn't been heard from or seen from in a while, kind of in the past.
1: I see. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, Crepuscular, a great word. I was thinking about creps, but it's in fact having to do with twilight. Uh, So a little different than creps, but still pretty great what's the word Um, that has
0: to do with new moon
1: oh i don't know but i'm worried
0: i don't know either that's just the next twilight book
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh god then we have changeling which i thought i knew but then i looked at it and i realized i didn't know is a child that's like secretly exchanged for another in infancy so it's like a swap baby kind of thing Interesting. Uh, There's
0: also myths about changelings and that term has been like loosely applied to types of mythology where there are like skin changers, that kind of thing that has sometimes oh. been referred to as
1: changelings as well. Okay, that's probably the more original definition and which in this context is probably more relevant because it's dealing with like Homeric myth. But at any rate... Um Then there's the great diaphanous, Mm. Lee. Yes, diaphanous Lee, Um, which is kind of like delicate or like uh, a fine texture. Basically, I think from the Latin, it's like it's to show or something. So it's like you can see through it. It's like translucent, but but it actually is like got finesse or something. I think that's that's what I got anyway. Definitely. Um, yeah,
0: those were the hard ones, and there's a lot of them, and they're kind of front loaded in the poem, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, no, it is it is very interesting, and I think there's a lot to say about her choice of diction um, and her choice of words. It's very deliberate and delightful. Mm. Um, but maybe a quick little rundown of the play-by-play.
0: I think that's a good idea.
1: We got our speaker. So which mammalian fuck-up list produced the platypus is just like, how do we get a freaking platypus? Platypuses are so weird. Uh, it looks like a beaver. and also a duck. Um, and doesn't have any nipples. And stuff like that. Sort of describing what it looks like, how it behaves, but under the guise of like... This thing is pretty weird, which, in fact, it is weird. Uh, One of only two uh, kinds of mammals that lay eggs. Um, The monotremes. The monotremes, both found only in Oceania, mostly Australia. Yep. Um, Then we get our stanza break, and we have diaphanously the god swan boned a married chick. And here we, we... have a so literally we have a well basically i think it's not too much of a stretch this is like the zeus lita and the swan myth being evoked uh where zeus changes into a swan and in the myth basically rapes lita and then lita gives birth to helen and someone else uh and then Helen, of course, starts the Trojan War. So that's how we get to the launching of a thousand ships ensued. Um, and then we just sort of get some musings on Homer and platypuses. Uh, yeah, that's my
0: sort of play-by-play.
1: I yeah, that, that,
0: that tracks with what I've got, too. Um, cool. Yeah,
1: you did it. Um, I did it. I took. I did the easy part. Um, although we did not choose Kathy Fagan, you did pick this poem of out of Kathy Fagan's body of work, and I'm I'm curious. Uh, certainly, the lightness. We have been on a real depressing streak. Um, you know what drew you to this poem, and also just initial thoughts. What do you make of it? There are a few things
0: that drew me to it. Um, Definitely the lightness of it was attractive, not just because we've been on sort of a, you know, streak of tougher poems or in memoriam episodes and that kind of thing. Um, But because I think that it's easy and a lot of times the, what is considered serious work is often itself very serious and it's harder to have like very considered uh, takes on lighter fare. There are some people who, do lighter work who end up getting taken seriously. The prime example I can think of is somebody like Edgar Wright, who makes comedy movies, but he does it with enough obvious directorial skill that he gets taken very seriously as a director, even though his work is, you know, fun and funny. What I really liked is that I felt like this was a poem where it was very fun, on one level, very, the big A word, accessible, because you get that immediate jolt of so which mammalian fuck up list it's like all right i'm with you i know what this is about i'm familiar with the platypus it's an interesting creature and that's yeah i'm with you um but it is also a poem that has a lot of depth to it both in the craft of how it's constructed and i think in the way that it goes about kind of taking a fun look at a funny animal I mean, just the name, like, platypus is funny. Like, everything about the platypus is just cute and strange. I know. You know? Um, So it was that combination of the light touch, and I felt like fairly obvious craft and depth existing together that was really exciting and interesting and engaging to me. Because if it was just some tossed-off fun poem, not that that wouldn't be enjoyable, but you know, we try and find work that's, like, digging into it will reveal more, and I feel like there's a lot more in this to pull out, even though just reading through it can be really, like,
1: enjoyable. Yeah, no, I think that's really right. That was, like, totally what I was loving about it. One thing that I, yeah, like, was very interesting to me, and maybe this is, like, not the right direction to go right now, but we start with the platypus, and... It's crazy. And I'm like, okay, platypuses are weird. And then we go into the myth um, of like the god swan, uh, the launching of a thousand ships. And I'm like, why are we talking about, or you know, what's the connection between platypus and this myth? And I eventually made the sort of most literal connection which is that I think Leda actually laid eggs in at least one of the telling of the the myth and And, so in
0: most of them it's at least one sometimes two eggs right and And sometimes they both contain like twins and stuff and that's in some tellings where Castor and Pollux come from I think which is a whole other part of it there's a lot in that myth that goes down depending on who's telling it
1: yeah it's pretty wild, but she's um, always a mammal that lays eggs, so. Right. So, in in a sense, it it's Leda is a platypus, so that makes sense. But then, um. You know. Then I was thinking, okay. We got this word ontology. And. <clears throat> because you're right, like the poem is like very funny and it's very sort of like also just taking delight in the language of things, you know, crepuscular and nippleists, they suckle hatchlings in the changeling dusk. Like to make nipples like work sonically also with crepuscular is like pretty crazy and mm-hmm. impressive. Um and it's it's clear throughout that just like it's so fun to say. Um, and you know, all this sort of craft and then this obvious, like pretty, like, you know, you got, so basically you got like this heavy myth and this weird animal. There's like a lot of deliberate sort of weird tensions and like, what's that all getting to? Um, and, I don't quite have an answer, but I started to get there with thinking about ontology uh, because I was like thinking sort of about science and, you know, the platypus is something that sort of defies categorization. And we're like, what is something? And we want to say that mammals, you know, what is a mammal? What is the, the being of a mammal? Well, normally we say they give birth to live babies, right? But platypuses, uh, you know, don't do that. So they're kind of like um, ontologically fucking up uh, scientists' ability to, you know, make their families and genuses and species and whatever, you know, classifications that they're, you know, taxonomies or whatever and then then i started thinking about so lita and the swan we got the myth but then this is like one of those myths that's been written about and painted and it's like everyone it originally or not originally but the one of the homers sort of well I don't know if he actually talks about it specifically in Homer, but um, certainly Helen comes up in Homer, but a famous poem, Lita and the Swan by William Butler Yeats, is one of the Yeats's most well-known poems. It's probably one of the most well-known poems of the 20th century. Um, And that sonnet similarly is um recounting the myth um and so it's it seems like this poem is very clearly in conversation with that Yeats was obsessed with these like he had this whole wild idea about history and there were these things called gyres and he was like there are these big moments in history that define an era and they're all rotating around each other in this weird sort of thing. And this poem and sort of like the Trojan war and like Helen of Troy and that, that event was kind of like a formative launching of something new, like it's start of an era. Um, Maybe, I don't know, modernity or something. Um, if it's, if, if the event being talked about is sort of like that, then it's sort of like defining the being of whatever comes after that, if that makes sense, which is like, okay, this is about to get super like stony and, uh, But it's like, what are we, if not, like, and what is, like, where we come from have to do with what we are? And it's like, with the platypus, it's like, it's like, what is it? But then, and, like, where did it come from? And it's crazy. And then, like, anyway... I'm really getting lost. That way of describing history
0: is the most Yeats thing I've ever heard. (laughs) That is so quintessential him of being just like a little baddie, but so detailed in how thought out it is. And obviously, I'm sure he believed in it 100% and yelled at anybody who disagreed.
1: Oh my God. I mean, he wrote... (laughs) Okay, him him and his wife wrote, like, 400 or 4,000 pages of, like, automatic writing in some kind of trance state, and this was their—and then from that, they developed this system of history, which was, hot. yes, very batty and very specific, and he has a—I mean— it's wild, and he's obsessed with it. I mean, there's like the Second Coming is kind of about that, um, and all that stuff. Ah, oh, man, what a character!
0: But the story of Lita is like, in so many ways, pretty wild. Uh, not least because she ends up laying eggs, um, and you can see why that would come up in a poem about, you know, another egg-laying mammal. But it is very interesting to both put the platypus in the context of the myth and to put that myth in the context of the platypus. So what I really like about how the myth is introduced is that the language is getting increasingly, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, like fancy, basically, both in terms of the sort of $10 word use, but also the intricacy of the sounds, crepuscular and nipple They suckle hatchlings in the changeling dusk. It's like mo- a lot of the words that we talked about at the beginning are in those two lines. They come at the end of that first stanza. The stanza's kind of ramping up from mammalian fuck-up, which like mammalian is there. That's at least a seven dollar word, right? I mean, it's got mammal so you can figure out what it is, but you don't hear it in everyday conversation not everybody's like hello my mammalian compatriot it's so good (laughs) to interact with you today let us consume food together you know like it'd be kind of (laughs) weird but the fact that the language ramps up and even at the beginning of the next one uh, the next stanza it's like diaphanously and then all of a sudden the god swan boned a married chick like that sharp turn Which still is like chick in the context of eggs is very thematically appropriate as a choice of word. It's still doing a lot of language work, but the language just cuts down uh, and begot two eggs, neither good. And it takes on this, the language pairs down, but there's still like a deeper irony that enters. Because, as you said, in the myth, Helen of Troy is the child who comes out of the egg. And the next line is the launching of a thousand ships ensued, famously. Helen, the face that launched a thousand ships, you know. But it's kind of funny to then imagine her as a platypus. Because <laughs> it's like, the in a way, it's saying the platypus launched a thousand ships, you know, in here. I think there's like a connection being drawn that's like, but what if it was a platypus face? Like, what if it was this, you know... Not as classically beautiful, perhaps creature. Uh, and Homer never saw a platypus. so like he he didn't have a good frame of reference for what to imagine when mammals lay eggs. kind of idea, I think is there a little bit. And then this, I'm sort of interested in what your thoughts are about this Homeric
1: dream where he hears the gurgling hiss. I love what you're talking about with the language, and it's sort of throughout there's this this like, tension between the the kind of vernacular words and the fancy words to use your word um like boned is so i mean great phrase with diaphanously um and you know even the title ontology and the platypus already kind of sets you up for that kind of tension and as like sort of um you know like a craft kind of note Um, you know we talk a lot about it's like how do poems get their propulsion how do poems get their momentum you know what drives a poem you know like narrative tension is a common thing in a lot of writing and also a lot of poetry Um, but one of the great things about poetry is that there's you know like lots of other kinds of tension that you can have that sort of generate that momentum. Um, and, you know, so you could have like image tensions, you can have all sorts of things. But what this poem does, at least on one level, is I, f- I feel like the language itself and the sort of, you know, um, to use a more like tonal register uh, is for some reason the, f- the phrase that I'm coming up with. But like the diction or you know like the the kind of word is in tension with the other kinds of words. Um so when you like pair mammalian fuck up and you pair ontology and platypus, crepuscular and nippolis diaphanously and boned um you know your your head is like Like, okay, you know, like if it was only ontology, mammalian, diaphanously, you're like, okay, this is like a high level, ornate poem. Uh, you know, I'd be like, I can't access this. This is just like elite poetry stuff that I'll never understand. And if it was like fuck up and nipple less and boned, you'd be like, okay, this is either like someone's texts that I shouldn't be seeing, uh, or it's like a poet who's being funny or whatever. Um, but like in both situations by themselves, as a reader, I like enter a, a state of mind that's different. One professor I was a graduate assistant for um she used the beginning of Emma by Jane Austen as kind of an a, a illustration uh, which begins Emma Woodhouse handsome clever and rich with a comfortable home and happy disposition seem to unite some of the best blessings of existence da, 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 da. um and she really focused on the word rich um because it's like a different word than wealthy or like had a lot of money kind of thing like rich has a certain connotation which is kind of what it gets down to is like words have certain connotations and you know like saying rich characterizes emma already in a certain way that a word like wealthy would not um and similarly like the kind of speaker and the kind of like angle that the reader is going to be going at will be different. If you're only seeing words like diaphanously versus boned or whatever, but then the genius of this poem is, you know, the pairing of the two, which creates the tension. Cause it's like mammalian fuck up. And then you're kind of like, Whoa, like where am I exactly?
0: That's, Awesome. And I just realized, I think that there's a a level on which that's operating, which is that the platypus itself looks like this kind of rough-hewn evolutionary accident or mistake or fuck-up, but is actually, as a result of the ways in which it is different from most mammals or reptiles, it's incredibly complex. So the platypus itself embodies that tension of like it presents as this duck-billed, awkward, half beaver, half otter, half alligator because it lays eggs with no nipples, is active in the evening, like all this stuff that sets it apart. But because of that, it's actually an incredibly complex organism that is fascinating and operating on a level that's very difficult to understand. So there's the immediacy that you experience when you think about a platypus or you see it and you're like, (laughs) and then when you actually think about it,
1: you're like, oh, shit, science. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. That's such a good point. I learned that platypuses navigate through the electric fields of the earth. Yeah. What the f? That's so crazy. Isn't it amazing? Um, I don't even to think of that way of being in the world is like so different than so many other like ideas that we have about animals. Yeah, you're so right. And also it's like this is sort of a pet theory that I have about things which is like probably either like very obvious or like pretty stupid or both um is this like your yates view of history right here no it's not like my yates view of history but it's sort of about evolution which is like we often have we sort of see these animals and they're like and we see ourselves as like you know obviously we're the current endpoint of a certain evolutionary tract and we're like well why do we do this there must be some like evolutionary purpose for it and it's like there is an evolutionary purpose or whatever but it's just like the only purpose is just to live and reproduce and survive it's not to like be happy or to like i mean we as a person we can aspire to those things but like the reasons why our bodies are the way they are is not like built for that it's built for survival and so a a platypus like lived in a very specific you know in australia is so interesting because like when the i've been learning actually a lot about australia when the ocean levels like rose like tens of thousands of years ago it's basically australia and New Guinea and Tasmania were all part of this like big supercontinent, Sahul or something, which is what those called, which was then later part of which broke off from Pangaea, I think, or something. Anyway, but then Australia was like way removed from, you know, the Eurasian continent. And so all these things in Australia basically evolved for millions and millions of years, like totally isolated from the rest of the world, which is why there's some very weird Things there. Another weird thing in Australia, just because I'm on a real roll. So I was learning about wasps, and uh, there's a there are orchids in Australia that are only pollinated by one species of wasp, and the way that they get pollinated is they orchids look and they smell like female wasps. The may wasp see the orchid and is like hubba hubba and then flies to the orchid and tries to sweep it off its feet and like mate, but actually it's just an orchid. And so then it like basically bumps into the orchid and then gets a bunch of pollen on it and then spreads that around. That's so cool. There's like different orchids that work exactly like that, but they are only pollinated by like one specific species of wasp, which is just to say like if your ecosystem and stuff like is such that that's how you reproduce, it's just like then that's how you survive. And so like a platypus being weird is like only weird in the sense that the rest of the world's environment was just different than the platypus's environment but if anyway um but there's like the platypus didn't go around thinking of itself in like i just i feel like a mammal but i keep laying eggs (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah uh that's just not what the platypus was thinking about it's like they keep calling me a mammal but look at my eggs you know what am i doing here Um, It just was like, well, this is how I am. And, you know, like, if anyway, I'm a layman in many of these ways, but it it strikes me as relevant to the poem because the poem is just I'm reading a lot into that ontology. But it's like, what is something and like how and like the way we name things sort of induce our expectations for what that thing is. I agree with that, and I
0: appreciate your bringing in the natural history of Australia on that because it's so true. A big part of why the Australian like ecosystem is the way it is is not just because it was separated long ago and the reason that the platypus exists is because there weren't a lot of large natural predators. Like That's part of why the introduction of dingoes fairly recently, which are basically just feral dogs like evolved from feral dogs like that was a big deal because they are the main larger predator that exists in australia so there's tons of the various like snakes and venomous creatures and australia sort of has a reputation for that but in terms of large land predators there's not a ton of them and it allowed for a specific type of biodiversity especially amongst mammals and monotremes who don't reproduce super rapidly, like they don't have a lot of babies. That's another thing about the platypus and the echidna. I think the biggest things we haven't hit are the very end of the poem, which is the males are venomous. A plural form of platypus does not exist. And we have used some plurals. We've said platypuses. And there is a variety of ways that people pluralize the word. A lot of people's instinct is to say platypi, which is sort of a false Latin common pluralization that a lot of us do with various words that actually have other origins like Greek but sound Latin to our ears. So we tag on that platypi or octopi or whatever. We tag that onto the end when it's not necessarily, you know, linguistically correct. Um, Some scientists just use platypus as the plural. Some use platypuses and sometimes platypodes comes into play. So there isn't really Uh, an official pluralization. So though people use different means of communicating that they are talking about more than one platypus, I think this poem is accurate in saying there isn't an actual plural form that's like commonly used or 100% correct. And that to me is an interesting note to end on because it sort of speaks to the uniqueness of this creature in a way. And then it also adds this complicating of the idea of naming, which when you're talking about ontology or the nature of something's being, so much of how we identify literally anything in the world is by how we name it and how we communicate about it with each other. So saying that there are limits on the naming of this creature to me was an interesting reflection on the idea of ontology. I'm not quite sure where I go with it, and I'm kind of curious for your thoughts if you have them.
1: Yeah, that's really, really interesting um i love that um i have two thoughts that i think are separate but maybe i hope not separate in terms of the plural just sort of saying what you said again like not just the naming but like to name or to categorize we depend on a group of things being together and being like okay these are what these are what mammals have in common or like, you know, in a more non-scientific sense, we're just like, okay, this is what Americans are like, you know, uh, they're rude and loud, um, or whatever. But so like part of why it's like, you can't, if there's no plural form of something, there's no like, other form of it to name or to to draw like uh if there's no form of it if there's no plural form of it then you can't like make comparisons among platypus right you just have the one platypus or something um which interestingly i think there's four This is like getting way more scientific than I usually get. But there's, I think, four species of echidna, but there's only one species of platypus. So it really is like its own thing.
0: Platypus and humans are alike in this way. And it's kind of a weird evolutionary quirk because there's almost never one species of something on the planet at one time. And Homo sapiens sapiens are really kind of odd in that respect because throughout all of human evolutionary history there've usually been multiple species of human in the world and we currently don't have that and that is the case of the platypus as well
1: whoa that's really interesting and then you this just sort of saying what you're saying again to say that again uh the the fact that sh- that the poet is sort of drawing on the language aspect of platypus is just another way that the naming of things is being like called attention to, like that the plural form, like the word platypus, is like how the poem is getting to that point, um, which sort of draws more attention to that. Um, so th- that's one of the thoughts, and then the other thought, which is very unformed, is just like the males are venomous. And then I was thinking back to Yeats and the Lita and the Swan poem is very problematic, even though it's like a good, a great technical poem because it's describing the rape of this woman by this God. And then at the end, Yeats does this thing that's like um, being so caught up so mastered by the brute blood of the air, did she, and she being Lida, put on his knowledge with his power before the indifferent beak could let her drop? Which is like this question. And it's... I mean, without getting into the weeds, it's just obviously very problematic in the sense that it's suggesting that there's this benefit or even if it's like a, only like a cosmic benefit to basically being raped by the Zeus swan. Uh, did she put on this knowledge with his power or whatever? Um, and especially for a male poet to be suggesting that, you know, we don't have to get into it. But thinking about that, And then thinking about the god swan boned married chick, then I'm thinking about, like, dudely language. And then the the phrase, the males are venomous, which is true. Um, Male platypuses are venomous. You know, it's got a very, like, suddenly we're talking about gender and patriarchy, potentially um and especially because the yeats poem is so canonical in a way and especially the the lightness of the poem is like it feels like fagan and the poem is like a kind of writing against the yeats poem like this is like a rebuttal or a response um like yeats will say you know a sudden blow the Great Wings beating still above the staggering girl, her thighs caressed by the dark webs, blah blah blah. And she'll go diaphanously the godswan boned a married chick. Right. So this is and then of course you just if you push it really far out, then you're thinking about Homer, then you're thinking about literature with a capital L and like just stories being written and told by men and the canon also being just dead men um and like yeah that seems to be going on and i don't know like where to put that but i feel like it's there i don't know i don't have a great
0: answer I don't think except that there is this interesting connection being drawn between the platypus and if we are going to that sort of abstracted literature with an L canon you know capitalized letters place there is a little bit of a connection being drawn between the platypus and woman or women and In some ways, that's an indictment being laid at the feet of somebody like Homer who never saw a platypus, meaning never really appreciated it for all that it is or wouldn't have understood it if he did. And also that the way that Homer or Yeats were creating women in their stories was, you know, in some way like viewing them as this strange other thing, the way that we might view a platypus without viewing it more complexly i don't know if that's really in the poem but i think you could potentially see that happening as a way that fagin is writing against them sort of injecting this note of irony and this note of critique of like is this what you think women are you ding dongs <laughs> all right should we uh read it again i think we should Ontology and the Platypus by Kathy Fagan So which mammalian fuck-up list produced the platypus? Produced the bird-billed flat-foot erstwhile beavers dressed like ducks for Halloween. Crepuscular and nippleless, they suckle hatchlings in the changeling dusk. Diaphanously, the godswan boned a married chick, and she begot two eggs, neither good. The launching of a thousand ships ensued. Homer never saw a platypus, though in his dreams he may have heard them growl, a noise between a gurgle and a hiss. The males are venomous. A plural form of platypus does not exist. Hey everybody, this is Jack again. Thank you so much for listening. This is the part of the show where we tell you all the different ways you can get in touch with us because we love to hear from you. If you have ideas for future episodes, comments on this or any of our past episodes, different readings of poems than the ones that we offered, we want to hear it. Uh, The fastest and easiest way to get in touch with us is on Twitter. The show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. And Connor is at Hot Sauce Boxed. You can also get in touch with us via email if you have lengthier thoughts. Our email address is Close Talking Poetry at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Close Talking. And of course, the very best way to stay up to date on the latest Close Talking happenings is to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Uh, We're also available in addition to iTunes on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next time.